0: who is the External Affairs Coordinator for the UW Model United Nations. Hi, guys. So, we just released... UW just released the... the legislative agenda for this year. Sorry to jump into things. This is we're talking about local news and politics at UW and in Seattle and Washington. So, Josh, uh, the Office of Government Relations just released their legislative agenda, which means that's what they're going to use for state politics and how to uh, lobby for UW students.
1: Yeah. So essentially, uh, what the legislative agenda is, is it's the um, sort of the all-encompassing document that Kate Graham, who's director of VR uses as her tool for lobbying um, and it essentially represents the undergraduate so so this year we decided to sort of focus our legislative agenda more around the people of the sort of the quote-unquote everyday average people of UW and being able to um make them um sort of provide them with the best quote-unquote husky experience that they could um envision for themselves and so um this year we sort of took a different turn with the legislative agenda previous years we just broken it up into paragraphs and this year um, we broke it up into different sections and then we also included what we call position statements and we found that these were used um Pretty regularly, back in the early two thousands and late nineteen nineties,
0: as well in the legislative agendas. So these uh, position statements, you're uh, you're advocating for certain pol- policies specifically, or is it? just... Um,
1: so I can break it down a little bit. So, for example, one of our we have paragraphs that explain broadly what the ASUW supports, what the ASUW commends from previous uh, the the previous legislature. Um, So for example, one of our categories is quality of education, and we have a paragraph about how the UW is a world-class institution, and then we break down essentially what the ASUW supports regarding that, and then some of our policy statements, um, or not policy, position statements regarding that include, um, for example, that the ASUW calls for maintaining the institutional excellence of the University of Washington by keeping its operating budget whole. So that's in reference to the 15% um, tuition reduction we've seen.
0: So this is the same office of government relations that last year managed to lower the tuition for this year and the following year. Austin Wright Pettibone was in charge last year? Mm -hmm. Yes. And are you you looking forward to decreasing the cost even more, or are we trying to keep a tuition freeze like had been going on for the last couple of years before that?
1: So essentially what we're trying to do, of course we, I mean idealistically we would want tuition to be reduced even more, but um, this year isn't a budget year, so essentially what we're doing is trying to secure funding. Um while we did see an increase in funding that allowed us for this tuition reduction, we want to, um, so I'll I'll sort of try and break down what, um, I guess, logistically, we're looking for in the budget. So essentially by what we say when we mean keeping the operating budget whole is that, um, so when you don't have, when you have tuition, and that's what it was like, $10,400 10400 something dollars the, the previous um, two years or whatever biennia before. And now it's below 10000 So essentially the university has less money coming in. And that read, that um, backfill needs, the, the university still needs that money. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to secure that money for um, the university because the university still has an operating budget that they need to, um, fill all of their different departments within. And so if they don't have the money for that, they're they're fine right now, but we need to secure and maintain the funding for that. So while we may not be um, necessarily advocating for specific tuition reduction, we are um, proposing that this needs to be a a maintained issue throughout the next few biennia. And especially um, we want further funding into the uh, state need grant as well.
0: Um. So, so this operating budget it includes uh, construction projects as well. We know that the um, the biology and life sciences building has been trying to get on its feet for the last couple of years, and at one point they were trying to get student tuition dollars to go towards it. Can you talk a little bit more about that, or are we are we trying to fund these capital projects with tuition dollars or with what's going through the state?
1: Sure. So, um, I'll I'll, I'll sort of break off into my two different branches. So, uh, as an employee who works for uh, the ASU Dub, um. The official opinion of the ASUW is that um, capital projects, which are what which the life sciences building fits into, it's building essentially what capital projects is is um, it's when um, the university is building on public land because it's a public university. It essentially suggests that we should re- we should get state funding for that because we are a state university. We are on state um, state land, so thus funding should come from the state. And so the ASUW adamantly opposes the use of tuition dollars for capital projects. Um, and as a member of the provost advisory committee for students, um, I know that we're um, sort of revising the and revisiting the, um, uh, uh, the I guess, declaration that was put out last year by Pax, the previous PACS administration, that um, the uh, previous administration of PAC suggested that um, the first, or rather, one of the strategies that um, the university should use is not um, using
0: student tuition dollars for
1: capital projects.
0: Gotcha. And another thing prominently featured on your legislative agenda is um, things about like mental health and uh, sexual assault on on this campus and, and like safety for our students in general. Uh, how do you? How does uh, Kate plan to lobby for that in? in um, Olympia in Winter Quarter?
1: Um, so specifically regarding our sexual assault and relationship violence category, um, we have sort of added on this year uh, the fact that um, we're sort of following in California's footsteps. California just passed a law um, that essentially defined affirmative consent as yes means yes. Um, and though we are sort of less sure because it was just passed beforehand we're trying to catch up and it will essentially be this is that that is actually one of our um position statements is that we will call for policies defining affirmative consent as yes means yes so that's one of the few um parts of our legislative agenda that we felt very strongly enough that we would actually call out specifically what we're looking for um and then uh for more in the legislative agenda you see that um this year, we really focused on uh, race, equity, and access, as well as um, well-being, health, and safety of students. Like I said earlier, we tried to focus our um, our efforts this year more on just what affects the everyday student, whether that be textbooks, whether that be um, not feeling safe when they're walking home during winter quarter, going from the library to their dorm room. Um, we just tried to focus on what, what people may seem to think of as the smaller aspects of students' lives, but actually they, they play a larger impact. So um, for the race Equity and Access section, we talked about the university using a holistic approach um, and continuing to use that holistic approach um, in the quality of education and in the admissions process. Um, and we also want to focus more on, on the AACW recognizing that the that marginalized communities have disadvantages and that these oppressed groups need to be advocated for and that we need to address that there need to be policies in place and economic, um, ec- both economic and social policies that sort of not only prevent these inequalities from perpetuating, but also sort of um, level, the, level the deck as well.
0: So so how do we plan on tackling these things because uh, what's one one of those things that's notable is um initiative 200 it's uh, when you can't take into account someone's race um or color of skin when hiring them for state positions and it includes admissions and it includes professors and it includes similar things to that but um how do we plan on um how do we plan on tackling these uh, racial issues without uh, without ostracizing people who would have uh, supported it but how do mm, how do we get these people to how do we how do we represent these people um, and get them to get representatives in offices without without an elected majority? Because it, it, this is a common issue throughout all Who are these people, uh, like racial minorities or or sexual minorities. How so do we get minor yeah, marginalized groups? How do we get marginalized groups in positions where they can advocate for th- these marginalized groups? And and what's a fair way to uh, well? What's a fair way to reduce the amount of, or to eliminate the unfairness they face?
1: Uh, well, okay, so I'll, I'll say a few things regarding that. So, one, just s- like systemically within OGR this year, I know Kate and I have done um, and are planning to do a lot more outreach to the different diversity commissions and legacy groups on campus. And we not only would like to provide um, lobbying training so that um, if people in marginalized groups feel comfortable lobbying, for themselves, then we want to provide them with the opportunity. However, some people aren't necessarily um, keen to getting up on um, uh, getting going into a place where they've been historically oppressed and necessarily they don't necessarily feel that they have enough power. And so we want to be able to sort of channel anything we can and we want to sort of gauge the interest within these different communities. And if we can, um, we want to provide them whatever platform they they want to lobby on. And then also, I will say, um, in sort of addressing the question regarding how we're going to do this. um, So the ASUW, um, we sort of threw this in there that we support higher education outreach programs as well as resources for underrepresented communities um, and advocate for equitable programs that utilize the unheard voices of ostracized communities. So essentially, we feel that Outreach is going to be our best bet because historically, um, at least within OGR's um, sort of persona, we've we've come across as um, white, sort of white people in suits, and we want to sort of break down that barrier for people who maybe necessarily can't afford um, to wear a suit or they don't feel comfortable in certain situations, and we don't want to necessarily limit these um, Unheard voices to to so sort of fitting into the mold that we that we give them, and I, I guess I would also say that, um, that at least at this point in time, the ASUW probably would not like to comment on I two hundred.
0: Okay. Um, I'm going to move on to something else. We're going to talk about a little bit about um, this endangered species legislation that's going through um, that, that's going through the state legislature right now. And Cindy brought it to my attention just recently. We're doing a we're doing a big vote today. In case you didn't notice, uh, King County is voting for all its council person, people and a few of their legislative agendas. But uh, this one legislative measure, uh, what is it, 1401, and it outlaws the legal sale of endangered species, um, like their, their remnants of them, and Cindy can explain it better, but remnants of them within Washington State. So it removes a legal um, way to sell, like a rhinoceros horn or a elephant tusk. Um, Cindy, do you want to talk a little bit about this?
2: Sure can do. All right. Hi, everyone. So initiative issue of uh, 1401 uh, would outlaw selling, offering to sell, purchasing, trading, bartering, or any distribution covering all animal species, including elephants, rhinoceroses, tigers, lions, etc., Uh, Paul Allen, who uh, there's a building named after him, if you don't know him, Uh, he's pretty close with Microsoft, Uh, he has put in $3 million into getting this passed recently. Um, So there's a lot of big supporters behind this. Um,
0: So, so Cindy, explain to me. Obviously, we we don't want um, the killing of endangered species to happen anywhere in the world. Uh, We don't want people to go and poach rhinoceroses because, or that's the word, I think, um, to to poach rhinoceroses to... um, to get their horns and then sell them to markets, which I'm I'm led to believe are mostly in uh, richer populations. So um, uh, why might this be a bad thing, perhaps, this legislation?
2: Well, if you don't want me saying something. um, So one or two good things. I mean, as you pointed out, we don't want illegal animal trade um, because it's pushing a lot of animal species to extinction. Um, And then California recently passed a very similar law, and uh, Oregon is also going to be voting on this soon as well. It's actually based off of the one that's on today's ballot. Uh, That we have here today. Um, Part of the reason that it's good, it might be good to have this West Coast block, would be because Asia is one of the biggest buyers of these animal products, Um, and if we could stop that, since a lot of our ports do a lot of trade with Asia, that would be excellent. However, there is one downside. If you look at the economics of this, um, removing the legal marketplaces would make it more make these products more lucrative on the black market. Prices would go up since it would only marginally limit supplies, but it would still Since there's only one place to get it, the black market can charge whatever they want. And demand really wouldn't go down because if you're rich enough to buy it on the legal market, you're probably rich enough to buy it on the illegal market since, I mean, I personally don't have enough money to buy a rhinoceros statue anytime soon. Um, Yeah. Uh, But one or two good things also. Uh, Obama recently gave the Fish and Wildlife Services, who are responsible for tracking down um, these smugglers, they uh, received more money recently. But how much money uh, is going to us? Is a problem. So even if we do, it's already illegal in the federal level to smuggle these these animal products. Um, and if we got some money, that could help us crack down on smuggling rings. But how much are we getting, actually?
0: It, it might be a better idea, perhaps, to um, consider expanding. I know. I know you mentioned earlier that this is, there's this lab in Oregon which tests um, these animal remnants and tries to find these smugglers that. Um, so that they can uh, they can track down who is poaching these animals but why is there only one lab on the west coast there's only this one lab and it employs a very small amount of people
2: so um what they do it's an animal forensics labs so they can test the kind of animal how they were killed and so that helps them kind of track down where the animals are being smuggled from you can sometimes you can even get it down to like the region which could really help uh, know where to increase security and they're like However, this one lab is in Ashland, Oregon, not a very big town, and it only has 15 people employed, which has actually increased recently due to funding. So 15 is an increase from the six that they had previously. Um, And it's actually the only animal forensics lab in the country. In fact, not just the West Coast, but the country, which is great. Um, It costs money to run it, and apparently people aren't very interested in running it. Maybe if Paul Allen had spent that $3 million going towards a new lab, that might make a difference.
0: Uh, Josh, do you have something to say about it? Uh, I was just
1: going over it. Um, First of all, Paul Allen hasn't contributed. He's contributed less than two million dollars. But I guess, I guess I sort of see where you're coming from. But I guess the way that I think about policy, just personally, is that maybe layer by layer. I, I guess personally, for me layer by layer is is the way to do it if you can't force um, if you can't make large um, change at once. and I feel like this is a a, a great opportunity to sort of add another layer to um, sort of protecting animals from extinction and protecting these endangered species. Um, so I guess i I just sort of have. Um, the question of if you sort of oppose this, then what do you propose as sort of of an alternate solution?
2: I guess saying I oppose this is a little strong. I just think there are some flaws with this particular piece. I feel like it's a little too broad. It's because this is already legal on a federal level, it's just making it extra illegal in Washington state. Um, I do agree that we do need to take these steps towards cracking down on smuggling rings and illegal animal trade. That's just, I mean, I I like rhinoceroses. I don't want them to go extinct. Um, But I guess if increasing funding to the Wildlife Fund was a good step by the Obama administration and more things like that to help crack down on this illegal smuggling, that would be a good step in the right direction. My problem is this piece, this initiative does not have Funding attached with it it just says this is more legal and if they catch you they get some extra they'll take a couple thousand more dollars um but that's not going to make a lot of difference in the big run i think um since it's already illegal this is not going to really have much more of an impact on smugglers
0: okay guys we're going to take a short break um i have a few things to say we rainy dog has a few new bloggers on so make sure you check us out at blog.rainydog.org if you want to give us a call, um, 206-543-7675. We'll try to answer the phone, um, but it is my first time doing it, so give me a second. Um, that's it. Give us a few minutes. We'll be right back, okay? I'm not sure I did that properly. Oh well, um, we're going to jump right into city politics and how it works on a city level. Um, so this legislative agenda, Josh, it, it works. It's it's a um, it's a forced document. On, it, it it sort of controls how Kate Graham is allowed to um, function in front of uh, Washington State Legislature, correct? And she's and she's not allowed to go like beyond this. She's it's written in a very. Let, let me get this straight. It's written in a very very broad fashion, so you can't really there's a lot of ways you can go with this in sponsoring legislation and getting people to uh, spawn, uh, getting people to run certain things but it's still like she can't go beyond this correct
1: I i'm sort of confused at what you mean by
0: beyond oh well let me rephrase um, this is this is a document that kate is required to have to be able to be a lobbyist in washington state legislature correct
1: to represent the ASU to represent the, the ASU.
0: Sure. Gotcha. Um, so we don't have a similar document like this on the city level, but, um, Catherine Sims, who you'll be hearing from later is, is, uh, Kate's, Kate's assistant director of office of government relations, and she'll be advocating on the city level, um, here in Seattle. So there's a few issues here in Seattle, um, that the legislative agenda doesn't cover, but granted, um, Catherine doesn't really need a legislative agenda.
1: I'll, I'll sort of jump in a little bit. So So this is the ASUW's legislative agenda for, um, I I mean, the Office of Government Relations is capable of um, lobbying on um, city, state, and federal levels with this because it does represent the, um, it does represent the undergraduate opinion of uh, ASUW or the UW. um, there are different um, points on our legislative agenda, actually, that are more specifically uh, targeted for smaller audiences like the city council. Um, so, for example, our inner civic engagement section, we have a specific position statement, um, which is the, the ASUW calls for the addition of a permanent ballot drop box on campus. That is nothing that the state legislature will touch because it's such a minute issue to them. But that's something that Catherine can advocate for on city council level. So, I mean, our legislative agenda, it, while it may be broad and more directed to state legislature, um, by no means is it restricted to that for sure.
0: Okay. Um, let's talk a few issues on the state level. For example, I'm going to talk about an issue that I'm extremely passionate about. It's um, public transport and how, how um, sound transit and how public transport can expand for Seattle. Now, theoretically, um, Seattle can hold geographically around 8 million people, which is around the size of New York City. That is a huge and completely far into the future number, and we're all going to be scared when Seattle has 8 million people, because God, that sounds terrifying. But in the meantime, um, Seattle's public transportation system isn't all that great. We 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 look at it, we see buses, and they're frequently late, and they're frequently threatened by cuts. But um, we, we want to work on a few other things, so we're going to Talk a little bit about the pros and cons of or pros, I suppose, of um, public transportation and how it works. Um, the first thing, the most obvious issue, is the um, the Burke Gilman Trail, which is uh, that bike and walking trail, which is getting renovated right at the bottom of of um, uh, Rainier Vista. Uh, if any, if most of you know where that is. Um, so they're they're renovating the path down there, and they're adding LED lights to it. Which which is very impressive, but the problem is that the Burke Gilman Trail is also not connected, so the entire thing isn't finished. It's been around for uh, decades by now, but uh, it it has this cut in the middle or right around the Boward Walks where bicyclists need to merge onto the road, and they need to they're essentially put into a position of danger by by. Uh, they're essentially put into a position of danger by um by uh, forcing them to go and s- sit on the road. Catherine's coming in right now. I'll have her talk a little bit about it. but um, we're we're trying to advocate this um this legislative session sort of has move Seattle, and they we want um or what I would like is for sound transit to be able to build the link, which is coming really soon. But we have to consider that not only as, oh, we have the link and now we're totally fine and public transport is going to work all smoothly, we also have to consider how um, it'll be affected uh, in in the future. Like, it really isn't um, sustainable just to work with one tram line that that uh, or one light rail line. We have to connect Wallingford, we have to connect Ballard, we have to connect all these other villages, or not villages, um, parts of neighborhoods, parts of Seattle, that generally aren't connected by public transport. And this light rail is going to do quite a lot to do that, but we still need to, in my opinion at least, we we need to do quite a lot to make it into a better version so we sort of reduce our dependency on cars as a whole. Um, Catherine, do you want to talk about public transport in Seattle a little bit?
3: Sure. Uh, Hi, I'm Catherine Sims, the Assistant Director of the Office of Government Relations. So my role with OGR, the Office of Government Relations for ASU-DUB, is to advocate to our local government, um, city and county, and and also the state um, for public transportation and any transportation policies that will benefit students. So, um, yeah, I think our city can do a a way better job of increasing public transportation. Um, I was in New York over the summer, and obviously, like, comparing... A city with a subway to Seattle. There's a big difference in the way that people can access the city, especially students who have limited resources in terms of cars. Um, yeah, do you have any questions for me specifically, Timmy?
0: Yeah, do you think do you think it's pro- probably better to advocate for a larger um, transportation reform in, in terms of like uh, light rail and trams and subways or or to um to advocate for like bicycling reform because Seattle isn't fairly large it's not it's not like um some cities in Texas which sprawl for a very large amount of time granted we're not as small as Portland due to some of the legislation they have down there but do you think it might be smarter to sort of um, work on approaching this as a both a um, a walking a cycling and a transit reform
3: yeah I agree I think we need to have choices in our city uh Seattle's kind of a mid-sized city and that we are a lot more dense than, yes, yeah, some city, some sprawling cities like L.A. or Dallas or something. But we are a lot less dense than New York, and we have we have real neighborhoods that are pretty spread out, and the neighborhoods have their own intimate community. So we need to balance with um, our huge traffic problem that Seattle has right now, and but also um, helping bicyclists, helping people who are going to ride public transit. Um, people who are going to ride light rail. So I think we, we need to find a, a happy medium between investing in um, traffic infrastructure for cars and, of course, investing in bike lanes and public transit, which will also help mitigate those um, problems of traffic.
0: Do you do you think that mitigating these public transit issues will help um, Seattle with its rent problem? Because we're we're running into a lot of talk and chatter about rent control, which sounds like a great issue on the surface. Uh, it sounds like a great issue. Um, how do we lower the rent in Seattle? How do we make it so developers can't necessarily overcharge rent for their um, they not spectacular apartments? But these land, what would the what the general issue is that rent control, from my view, um, will help those people. Uh, it'll help the very poorest of our population, which which is absolutely necessary. Seattle recently declared a state of emergency for homelessness, but it it mm, it it also makes it more expensive for the rest of us to live here. Will public transport expand the city outwards in a sense, making it so further populations further away are livable? Like, uh, for example make Northgate actually closer to downtown Seattle, make um, make Lake City, make Bellevue even closer to downtown Seattle.
3: Yeah, I think transportation is a huge part of that solution. Uh, with the new Sound Transit coming in, that will connect the U District and downtown, and it'll connect um, yeah the whole kind of region a lot more well. Um, and yeah, transportation will allow people to work in Seattle and live farther away in a suburb. But, you know, right now we have a lot of people who are being pushed out to suburbs and are unhappy about not being able to live in the city, which is um, it is such a great city with, with so many important things that make people want to be Seattleites and not live elsewhere. So we also need to respect that and find ways to create more affordable housing. And as you mentioned, homelessness is a huge problem. And as students also, um, we're having a really hard time finding affordable housing too. So... Um, for, we don't want Seattle to become a place that is only affordable for the very rich. People coming in and working at tech companies is great but if they're the only, only ones who can afford to live here, that's going to be a huge problem. Uh, as far as um, rent control, the problem that we have in Washington right now is that uh, Washington State has um, legislation that prevents rent control so, so what some people are trying to do in Seattle is find ways to advocate the uh, state legislature to change that so that the city would be legally allowed to explore rent control or similar policies, but right now we're actually constricted from doing so. Uh, so that is potentially something that we as, a, as students can advocate for, but there's so many tricky issues with rent control, whether it actually works or not. Personally, I think that we do need to look into finding some more innovative solutions, whether it's rent control or something like it that will allow for more affordable housing.
0: Okay. Um, do you... the what we've come up on is Amazon, which we know and love, and it offers many internships to our um, to our students, which which is nice, as does Microsoft and as does Facebook. Um, but we, we found that they do raise the rent prices in Seattle. Now, do you suppose by making our city more desirable, we're going to end up uh, with uh, obvious um, investment from our city? So public transport is one of those things that makes us desirable, uh, parks and stuff like that. Do you think that making our city more desirable makes our... Um, makes the climate for for businesses and stuff like that to come to seattle so that they end up raising the rent prices even more how do you do is is building bigger the solution can we build really high buildings build seattle to its extremes for its geographic placement and and come away with a success with this because in economics it's the basic law of supply and demand if there's not, not enough apartments there are simply uh, the price of the remaining apartments is going to be higher so do you think building our way out of this may be the solution to um, the problem of affordable housing? And is it 10 years away, 20 years away? How, how, do, how would, do we make it easier for de- developers if that's what we should do?
3: Uh, yeah, I think if by building Seattle you mean investing in our infrastructure and housing, I think there can be a symbiotic relationship with new businesses coming to Seattle and with Seattle and its infrastructure and, its, um, and the city as a city um hopefully what we can do is people can come in and give back to their city after coming in and um being really successful in a business that's located here and um that investment then can in turn bring more people to seattle and create a cycle of of um benefits for our city and i think that's you know you see some of that happening now and you see how that's happened in a lot of great cities including seattle and other cities throughout history so we just need to make sure that there's not um that it is a symbiotic relationship and that it is a, a cycle of um, benefits and growth rather than, um, you know, one side becoming, um, uh, well, less beneficiary to, less beneficial to Seattle. Um, yeah, we don't want to be xenophobic and just say that all the people coming in working for Amazon are, you know, not what Seattle's supposed to be because Seattle's always a, a city that's had people come in and um, be new citizens. So, you know, we can't turn people away. We have to work with them and we have to, um, find ways to create a, a better city.
1: I just want to jump in on this issue a little bit. So I just, I I think it's important to also note, um, one of the issues with, um, raising rents is there's a, there's a dual side to it as well. So especially in marginalized communities, um, or the like poor communities that included in that, um, what you find is that when you bring these tech companies and a a lot of these other um, very high profile companies, not only do you raise the rents, but you raise the median incomes. And so when you raise the median income income of an area, it thus raises the cutoff for um, like Section 8 and low income housing as well. So it becomes even more difficult for these people um, who've been struggling to find housing in the first place. And so it while it may be a good partnership at times i think it's also important to note that it's really a, a gentrification process and that by raising the median incomes and raising the rent prices you also need to deal with the fact that there are people that have been in seattle and are trying to succeed in seattle and we need to we need to be protecting our our citizens as well
3: oh yeah that that's a great point point. and um i would add you have you have seen some cultural change too And um, places like Capitol Hill, which is one of the best places in Seattle, in my opinion, Um, you you know, you you hear more uh, hate crimes um, towards the traditionally um, LGBTQ population and and other, you know, people who live in Capitol Hill. Um, Of course, you can't uh, blame label that on just like the new tech industry people. But a lot of people, um, whether I always agree or not, are um, kind of crying out against this new influx of people and it changing the traditional Seattle culture of kind of acceptance and um, diversity, uh, especially because it is such a generally wealthy population coming in. of uh, And also uh, overwhelmingly um, male working at these tech industries, too. So um, that does create an interesting dynamic. But um, I don't know, like I said, I think it, it can still be a positive for Seattle.
0: We we find another thing when um, when when getting these companies in that are so big and uh, so they bring a lot of people in from different places. Uh, well, are we losing a bit of Seattle culture? Um, for example, REI recently said that they were they were not going to be open on Black Friday because they valued their employees being outdoors. That they they valued that their employees also have lives, and we will notice that this is true with paying the minimum wage or again, not being open during the holidays. several of the um companies in the northwest uh, they decline to be open during Thanksgiving, which has begun which has become such a big issue um throughout the years in retail. i I know this because I sort of work in, I've been working in retail for the past few years and I'm especially close to it. but um is are we we hear so often that uh, Amazon employees and Microsoft employees are overworked what what? Is, is there a way to change this or is it, I mean, it was in a New York Times article this earlier this year, how do we how do we watch Amazon overwork its employees and create a workforce that stays inclusively, or, or uh, stays very indoors, that stays closed off from everyone except for Amazon workers because they spend 80 hours a week in the office. Uh, is there ways to bring these people outside, events? Mm-hmm. Um, I, Seattle, Seattle has been accused of, uh, for example, its music scene has been sort of Uh, stagnating for the last decade or so. Is is there a way to bring these uh, historically sort of uh, xenophobic groups perhaps? Not xenophobic, but um, uh, anti-inclusionist, clicky um, sort of groups out to join us, join the rest of us in what a place where, you know, the Seattle freeze was popularized.
3: popularized. Hmm. Uh, I'm not really sure about that. I I know that um, one Seattle tradition is Bumbershoot, and it's, uh, as I heard, its costs increased a lot this year, um, which is kind of a sad example of, of uh, an event that's really popular and brings Seattle together being a little bit less inclusionary. Uh, I'm not sure what the reasons for that were entirely. Um, and there's, there's so many other great events, and a Bumbershoot is still an amazing event. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess in- investment in our um, public goods like art and um, festivals is super important. I think Seattle does do a pretty great job of that uh, because we have such a fairly mild climate. You know, you can always get outdoors and uh, do things. But I'm not really sure what the solution is to creating a more of a community atmosphere. But um, hopefully we'll continue to see, especially in an age where there's the internet and where a lot of companies coming in are utilizing that, then... You know, that's one way to bring people together to events. Um, did you have any ideas for that?
0: Well, no, no that's why I was asking. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's one of those problems. I mean, even there was a study released, uh, I think yesterday where it said that uh, teenagers and teenagers are uh, spending nine and six hours on their phones and stuff like that. That's uh, the, to me, I, I work eight hours a day I don't understand how someone who, <laughs> I don't understand how someone who could have uh, who someone who's going to school could have spent eight hours on their phone that being said I'm also 23 so I don't really understand how um, everyone is on their phones during class I didn't have a phone in high school so or beginning of high school so it's um it's it's one of those things that uh, I'm trying to pick up on and figure out is there a way to bring um, these people that are traditionally more, closed off um into the limelight and we'll find that a lot of these a lot of these companies are actually sponsoring um or not sponsoring but uh paying for students at uh, the university of washington like the paul allen building the paul allen computer science building is a huge um it's a huge building in a very important program and the computer science program at the university of washington is extremely popular and extremely well known so you'll you'll find that uh, these companies uh, are investing in our future. How do we make them join us? But that's a topic for another time. Um, I'm going to give Catherine, Josh, and Cindy a break for a second. Um, We also have these shows on the go. Uh, Rainydog.org works just as well online as it does on your phone, as it works on your computer, so you can listen to us then. If you're on the bus, I apologize. My voice isn't very good on the bus, but... um, um, and make sure you like us on Facebook. It's uh facebook.com slash rainy dog radio. We have a Twitter feed, a uh, Twitter handle on the same and an Instagram that's rainy dog radio as well. And, um, if you want to help us out next time or in the future, um, there is a volunteer tab on rainy.org. So we'd love to get some help here in the studio and, um, with the rest of our shows, especially if you have a show idea. Um, I'm going to jump into the last issue now, um, Kate and I, Kate Graham and I, had been talking about this for the last um, hour or so. Where we were talking about widespread high-speed rail. Now, with the um, California is building this bullet train, with e- which Elon Musk has um, come out and said uh, he said a few years ago, actually, um, that it's the highest cost and slowest bullet train in the world per mile. And, it, and then he came out and apologized and said it wasn't the highest cost, but it was pretty close. Um, so, can we? Uh, this is one of my sort of passions. Is it possible to imagine that we can in in the northwest build this high speed bullet train um, from these cities? Because when you think about it, Seattle is faced with a whole bunch of um, issues regarding homelessness, regarding uh, high rent, regarding uh, it's just very small. Ge- Seattle is very small geographically. Like there isn't a lot of space to work with. So, uh, is it possible that we use some of the money that we get from these companies to build a a, a grand a massive and extraordinary public project that builds rail from vancouver in bc to vancouver down in washington and to portland and then you build it east to uh, spokane and connect these cities um, with the new tests of the tokyo bullet train. We're, we're seeing their clocking speeds up to 375 miles an hour, which would connect Olympia by 15 minutes. Or it would connect Olympia, which has 50,000 people, of course, but would grow given a giant rail station. Um, it would connect Portland by 40 minutes. You could literally get to Eugene um, to attend the Ducks football game and have lunch here earlier and tailgate down in Oregon. So – um is there value in pursuing such a high-cost project? The cost for Australia's similar project was $100 billion over a few years. So is, is there value in pursuing such a project?
3: Uh, well, as you explained, there's certainly value. I mean, um, we could create a, a far more interconnected region um, with less density and emulate um, both Japan and Europe as well as the Northeast to a certain degree with their... Um, extensive Amtrak system and um, spread out um, map of suburbs that all kind of connect to like New York, Boston, D.C. Um, So it would be great. Uh, And definitely um, Japan, for example, is way ahead of us in this on this topic. Um, Like my mom lived in Japan in um, the 90s and lived in um, as far away from think was Tokyo as Olympia is but just took the train and um that just w- wouldn't really work here um and that was so many years ago Japan has been ahead of us for a while but the the problem really is funding uh you bring up maybe these high tech companies here could could um fund this that would be great i um i don't know if that's some um, this is on their radar maybe you could personally take this on um the problem that we face as students advocating to the legislature is often is funding for all these great ideas that we have. So um, I don't know if a high-speed bullet train system is on the radar of the legislature, but um, it is just really hard, you know, sometimes to get these great ideas through um, with such divided government, and um, even for. Just funding for, you know, our, our current public transportation system, it's often hard to get anything by, that I don't know um, how optimistic I feel about it, but I think if there's enough people championing it, then who knows, anything can happen.
0: We're going to have Cindy jump in for a second, sorry, smaller studio, not many space around mics.
2: <laughs> Hi, so I have something to say really quick as well. Um, so one thing also kind of bouncing off funding and technology, um, we have a lot of tech companies here, and... Do I think they also they often have shuttles that go back and forth? You can catch one from here to Amazon uh, here at UW. But would they fund this? Is a lot. This would cost a lot more than a couple of shuttles running around town. Um, also, uh, one other thing is um, take New York. They have large subway system. It's pretty old, but it they're still they still work on it. We can barely get a link running. Um, so I'm wondering, like, if we if there's the incentive to get it going. Um.
0: Well, the argument here is that you're going to be spending this money transporting a million people from point A to point B. Is it's going to happen whether you build another highway or a another god God knows how much uh, money to uh, expand the highway uh, down in Tacoma or or even just transportation from here to to Tacoma to Olympia to Portland and up to BC. Um, so the argument is that over the next several years, you're going to spend this money anyway, whether you're going to be spending it in car trans- car infrastructure or automobile in- infrastructure and um, perhaps um, increasing the capacity, which will be eventually filled up by a population, or you increase it by an incredibly cheaper way. Yes, $100 billion sounds like a lot. But it seems like, and it is a lot, Um, I mean, when we remember Obama, when he first came into office, he, it was $300 billion bailout, which was, I think it was $300 billion. It was a huge amount of money at the time, but that was on a federal level. That's such a much bigger concept. $100 billion for Washington on its own is enormous. But the argument is that you are fixing a problem that's always going to be there by by doing it now, and the longer we wait, the the longer we're going to sort of fall behind in infrastructure spending. And it, it sounds great. That's because they, in the meantime, it's it's difficult because we have a divided government, and we'll always have a divided government. But the other thing that you have to consider is that um, this this works for both sides of the aisle uh, down in Olympia you you have Republicans who they're championing building infrastructure or you should be investing in infrastructure and you have Democrats who this is um this is a fair play at equality at at um helping the lowest or helping the middle class and the lower class into uh give them bigger opportunities to move further away from seattle and, and still be connected so
2: i I'm going to say three things. One, I would love to see this happen. I'm I'm completely on board. My mom teaches here at UW, uh, and she commutes from Tacoma, and she was once in a bus for 10 hours when it snowed and everything got stuck. So that was exciting. I would love to see a high-speed rail. Also, this could be more environmentally friendly than thousands of cars on off-railway. We have this. There's the potential, especially as technology grows. But we just cut, we, we continuously cut funding to transit. We, I mean, our Seattle Public Transit was threatening to cut tons of buses last year, if you remember. And so trying to get this pushed through is going to be a miracle. And also, um, I forgot my last point, so I'm going to let Timmy give a counter-argument. <laughs>
0: Um, I was I was always told I was recklessly overconfident and recklessly optimistic. So it's it's one of those things, I suppose. Kate, do you or not, Kate? Um, uh, Catherine, do you have some in- insight on this? Perhaps how how difficult would it be to get? And even if you consider over several years, over the next twenty, thirty years, getting which would divide up to oh, I don't know, thirty billion dollars a year. Um, which is still a massive number. But getting federal funding, uh, how how can UW approach this, and does it help that students know about the possibility that it's technologically possible that we approach this and and sort of educate the population that we can do this? It's just an issue of paying for it.
3: Yeah, I think the issue of paying for it is is certainly a big issue. I, I second Cindy um, there. It, it's really hard to get any sort of, if this was going to be funded publicly, any sort of taxes through, even in Seattle, which is a very liberal city um notoriously and yeah we don't have an income tax so we our tax structure is is pretty difficult sometimes to fund public works um but federal funding could also be an option i mean if this was an, an interstate project which it could be portland um california then um you know we could advocate to our our senators and representatives in congress um but, of course, we talk about Olympia being divided government. Um, D.C. is even more so. So um, I don't know how confident I feel about it, even on a federal level. But our infrastructure is so important all over the U.S. Um, and this has been an issue in in um, national politics for the last few years, too. Our, our highways need work. Um, our trains need work. And... We can we can really see disastrous consequences if we if we continue to pay as little attention as we are now, uh, and we're missing out on opportunities to have something as great as a as a light rail. But um, it it can be very hard, especially when it comes to a project that benefits a certain um, geographical area, like Western Washington, as opposed to a larger area. Then it. it can also seem like you know this is just for. Uh, just for one segment of the population, and, and that can be hard. I think that might be one challenge politically.
0: All right. Um, Josh, did you have something to say? All right. Um, we Last thing, um, it, and we're just about 10 minutes before the end of the show, but we want to say that you absolutely have to vote. Um, voting closes at 8 p.m. today. I think you have to get your, your um, ballots in a ballot box. Um, right now we have... Uh, it's two people voting for uh, running for city council in UW's district, uh, Johnson and Maddox, and both of them have um, both of them campaigned for. This is you know both of them campaigned for public transportation reform, and it seemed like it seems like we can't lose either way, Josh.
1: Uh, yeah, so actually, we talk about this in the office a lot of the time. So um, for the first time ever, actually, the ASUW Office of Government Relations um, held our first ever city council candidate forum, uh, with the district four candidates, uh, Michael Maddox and Rob Johnson. And, um, we found it very difficult, uh, to sort of segment their campaigns and their policy ideas. And, um, I think that's a, that's a common theme that people not only in district four, but, um, I was talking to someone at the Washington bus the other day and, they had a forum with them as well, and it was very difficult for them to um, them to discern the differences between the two campaigns. So I guess I would just, any advice to people interested and still haven't voted yet, um, you can go down to Red Square. There'll be a, a temporary ballot drop box there, or um, if you still have a little bit of time to get it postmarked, um, but uh, I guess I would just suggest looking at um, not only their policy platforms but um look at their experience as well um because i think at the end of the at, at the end of the day that's what's going to
0: sort of set them apart from each other and and when we look at this well this is the first year the first time actually that um that Seattle as a city has a uh, at or not at large neighborhood city council people so it actually puts the University of washington in a I mean spectacular is the word for it position. We have a population of 40,000 undergraduates which a large I mean most of them are going to live within or some of them are going to live within this area so our office of government relations of whom we have two people here um, have quite a bit of you know, clout for once. This is impressive Um, but it's just the way that this is functioning. So it, it really matters how how Seattle, how we at the University of Washington carry ourselves, because we do command such a large population of this one council person's district. And um, without our vote, essentially, he it's going to be very difficult for him to gain re-election. So he's going to be it's it's fair. to Is it fair to say that he's going to be sort of catering to or at least heavily considering what the University of Washington students have to say?
1: Um, Well, yeah, I think we sort of talked about that a lot at our uh, council candidate forum and just that um, we really want to see a lot of inclusionary work with um, not only just the ASUW having a lot of opinion, but we want the, like I had said earlier, what we focused our legislative agenda on, sort of the everyday students having their own voice and sort of if both of them, which I think both of them expressed vehemently at the, the council forum that they were both really interested in the student opinion and sort of not only being able to represent the students but sort of being able to um, sort of form relationships that that would last um, um, with the City Council so that there could be more um, more work with uh, the UW because I mean if you think about it the UW is um, I think it's the state's largest employer and I mean, we, there are over 60,000 people here on campus at any given time during the day. It's not only is it a large part of the economy, a large part of the population, it's just one of the state's largest assets. And I think not only are people starting to see that more as UW works its way up in the rankings, but I think just in general, I think on on a local level, people are sort of realizing that students have a say, they're vocal and... By continuing to um, sort of, or sort of rather by forming these relationships, it's only going to sort of enhance either of the candidates' abilities to um, effectively lead.
0: And is it fair to say that uh, given these, um, given the, mm, given that our candidates are vehement towards our issues, that we're going to get quite a bit of our agenda done for, at least on the city level, of, it, it it sort of raises in importance what the student opinion is, does it not?
1: Uh, yeah. So I mean, I I, I wouldn't want to like promise that X and Y and Z are going to no, be um, be uh, passed or any or any sort of specific legislation, but I do think that um, Catherine is really going to work on. I mean, forming relationships with our, and she's done a phenomenal job so far. So. I think her like forming relationships with our city council members um, and their ability to work with us is definitely going to provide that advocacy um, venue for sure.
3: Yeah, I think the city is really a fantastic opportunity for student advocacy. A lot of the times the Office of Government Relations has focused on the state because they do have more of an effect. Well, they have um, a lot more of an effect on our tuition, of course, and the big picture in terms of, Controlling the university, but um, but the city is also there too, and they, in a way, have more of an effect on aside from things relating to tuition and funding for the university. They all affect our day to day lives in some ways more because they affect transportation and um, you know our interactions with the city that we live in every day. So I think this will be a great opportunity. One note I have on you know how big an effect students will have on uh, and getting our agenda passed through city government is that we do need to vote and we need to take advantage of having this um, this new district and these new candidates who are representing or these new council members who are representing us uh, because yeah, traditionally youth turnout has been pretty low and there's a stereotype that college students don't care we need to really combat that and um, make sure that we're keeping an eye on our on our council members and um personally i have faith in both of the candidates running and um we'll find out soon who it is but um you know in the future going forth with the system we we need to make sure we're taking advantage of it and getting out the vote um (laughs) so go vote
0: All right, um, we're almost done on the hour. Thank you so much for stopping by, Josh, Catherine, and Cindy. Um, n- same time next week, everyone, from 3 to 4 p.m., your vegetables of the radio. Um, anything, closing remarks, anything you're passionate about, besides getting out to vote, all three of you?
1: Uh, I'll just say, uh, if you're interested specifically in any lobbying efforts uh, towards uh, women's health, towards mental health, towards really any broad topic that you want to lobby for, come to the ASUW Office of Government Relations. We would love to hear from you, talk with you. Um, we'd love to hear what you're interested in, and we'd love to give you a platform that you can advocate for yourself and others with. So um, we're located in the hub, the ASUW Plus suite, so it's a little bit past the regular ASUW suite in Office um, 131S. Uh, yeah.
2: And uh, once again, my name is Cindy, and I'm the Public Relations Officer from Model United Nations at UW. And if you're interested in finding out more about what that is, you can look us up at www.wwmuen. munorg We'd love to have you join our club.
0: They're having a big Seattle. They're having a big Seattle thing in a couple weeks. Uh, I
1: I would also like to uh, also let everyone know that um, November 16th is the um, legislative reception. I'll let Catherine speak a little bit more.
3: Yeah. So if you are interested in talking with state legislators, um, speaking of representing the U District, we also basically um, are encompass an entire legislative district, so you can come meet the senators and representatives who represent us in Olympia, have dinner with them, and um, hear from some great speakers who will talk about how this tuition reduction that we're all experiencing came about, and uh, yeah, so Facebook event should be coming out soon. Keep an eye out.
0: All right, guys, thanks for coming. Have a nice day, all right?
3: Children
2: crying, wonder why this earth is dying. Yeah, she's dying, yeah. Ah, ah, yeah. There's preachers sinning, evil winning. Times I fear this world is ending, world is ending, yeah. Ah, ah, yeah. The king's descending, breezes winding, clouds now raining, thunderstorming, Armageddon, yeah. Ah, ah, yeah. Don't be surprised, but be aware of how you lived and who you are,
1: and most of all, where are